lesson. Praise the Lord. If you take your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 3. Genesis, chapter 3. Our theme tonight and the next couple of Sunday evenings is our mission. What is our mission? Our mission is to make disciples. And so we need to know, how do we make disciples? What do we do? How does this all work? And this is what we are going to be held accountable as a church. We have fantastic fellowship ministries. We do here at this church. The Pontoon Pike Lake Progressive Dinner, what, what a blast. Great fellowship, great times, great families. This is a, a safe, great place to have our families be raised, be um, taken out of the world for a time for the spiritual refreshment of the word. It's great. Listen, we have good, solid Bible teaching, Sunday school classes, youth group, session after session, solid Bible teaching. And, and that's tremendous. And then also we have such wonderful music and times of praise and worship like this. These are all tremendous things in our church. But when we get to heaven, when the Lord takes us up to be with him, He's not going to say, well, Faith Baptist, you had the best fellowships on the block. Wow, could you guys serve dinner and could you have a fellowship? And he's not even going to say, you, I don't think, you guys had the absolute best Bible teaching of anybody around you. And I don't even think he's going to say, your music was just glorious. You just did a fantastic job. But I do think he's going to say this. What did you do with the gospel? What did you do with the gospel message in bringing it to the neighbors and to the city where you live. We've got tremendous missionaries. You know that. 15 missionaries scattered all over the globe that either have finished their ministries or some are still doing them today. But I've, he's really going to be concerned with our local church. What have we done for Hermantown, Esco, Cloquet, Saginaw, Twig, Duluth, our whole surrounding region? This is a burden. I, I want to make sure we are doing what the Lord has asked us. So tonight, we're just going to have an introduction. We'll look at a couple of texts, and then we're going to land on Matthew 28, is where we're going to land. But before we get there, just a few verses to stir your thoughts and provoke you. Have you just think of some glorious truths with me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together in the Word. We, we pray that we would be stirred up, uh, stirred up by passion and devotion and great overflowing love for you to be a witness here in Hermantown and Proctor and Esco and Cloquet and Duluth, the surrounding regions, Superior, all over. But Father, we need to have a, com a compassionate heart for those just right in our midst that we rub shoulders with and we see and we, we run into in the supermarket. And, and Father, give us a burden and a compassion and a love that we would boldly proclaim the great message of the gospel. I thank you that you are a seeking and saving God. You have sought us, and you have saved us. And now you have asked us to go and deliver that same message. Thank you, Father, for your greatness and the greatness of our salvation. Thank you for the Lord Jesus and his obedience going to the cross and rising again. It is the only message that saves, and we thank you for it, Father. To the praise and glory of Jesus, amen. All right, take a look at the book of Genesis chapter 3. What we have here is going right back to the start of the first family. Adam and Eve created in innocence, living together as a perfect family. Oh, if I could just peek into the 
the house windows of Adam and Eve before the fall. Wouldn't you like to see that? The harmony, the unity, the love, the devotion. And then when the Lord would show up on certain parts of the day, Jesus in pre-incarnate form would show up bodily to them and walk with them and talk with them. Wow, what a thrill. What it, what it would be, just a thrill to, to have that, that experience in the garden. But we know what happens. The serpent appeared to the woman, verse 4, lies to her about the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. He says to the woman in Genesis 3, 4, you shall not surely die, for God knows that in the, in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw, now she's lingering by this tree, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. You can almost see that the devil has so deceived her that she's thinking, God has left something out. God has not given me everything that I need. There is something that he has held back, and I need to get it my own way. And so she took, she was deceived, she, she took of the fruit she ate, and then it says that she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. We've talked about this passage before and the role of the man and what was Adam doing right next to her, letting her have a conversation with the serpent over the tree that they shouldn't even be, you know, close to. They have so many other trees to eat from. But we know the result, verse 7. The result is sin. Disobedience to God's command is sin. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. They thought, we'll repair the damage ourselves. And I think most of the world thinks that too. Sure, maybe the world's not the best. It's, it's going crazy, but we'll try to fix and repair it the best we can. Put some tape on it, put some fig leaves for a covering, and let's go on our way. And Adam and Eve wanted to do that. They were content with that approach. But God wasn't. In verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. All right, so they're hiding themselves. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So do you see who's initiating salvation? It is God who is initiating salvation. So we have to remember that. When we go out witnessing and making disciples, God is the initiator. We're simply the messenger. He's the one that has come down and initiated salvation, and he's searching out right now. Do you believe he's searching out men and women in Hermantown and the surrounding area that he wants saved? And all he needs is a messenger? He just needs somebody to go and deliver it. Here he comes and he, he's calling out to Adam and he says, where are you? And so Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. I think I mentioned it a couple months ago or maybe back in February when we did our marriage series. But there was a Bibliotheca Sacra article. That's a Dallas Theological Seminary journal that I, I get on a regular basis. And one of the articles was fascinating this professor, he understood verse 8 when he heard, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Most people read that like this type of evening, cool breeze, sunny skies, and the Lord's looking around, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? Let's, you know, he views it differently. This word cool of the day is ruach. It's the word for spirit, ruach. But if you look it up in a Bible dictionary, Ruach can also mean a tempest, a storm, anger, fury, 
So it's, it's not just simply a wind, like a calm, cool breeze. It could be a tempest and a fiery storm. I think maybe that's more in line. Adam has sinned against a holy God. What does he deserve? Eternal separation. He deserves condemnation and death instantly, right? Without grace, there would be instant death. So the Lord God in his holiness shows up in the garden, having sinners in the garden, and he is furious. He's angry because he's a holy God, and now sin has infiltrated mankind. No wonder why Adam's afraid. The fury of God, the storm, the tempest of God as he comes, Adam's thinking, I'm dead. I deserve it, and I'm dead. So this is the case for all mankind, isn't it? We are all under the condemnation of death, and it is God who searches us out, who seeks and saves that which are lost. And so we have to remember that our ministry is going to people, going to men and women, boys and girls, and proclaiming the message that saved us. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look with me in the New Testament at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. As we're thinking about Adam and the fury of God, and of course we know that God kills an animal and clothes Adam with skins. That's all grace. Adam is only able to commune with God because he's covered with the skins of a dead animal. God is making a statement, a death must be made for your sin. Either you die or a substitute dies. The animals were only a temporary substitute. So God in the garden with his fury, and I didn't finish the story, but with his great fury against Adam and Eve, also provided great grace and a new covering of the skins of a dead animal. And so now this ministry that brought Adam to God again, the death of a substitute, has been delivered to you and I. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. All of us are born in Adam. Everybody in our community is born in Adam. They are born in sin and under the condemnation of sin. But we who trust Jesus Christ, we are born, we are now in Christ. So Christ is, is covering us and all the wrath of God has come upon Jesus and not upon us. He says in verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, if they're a they are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God. Here's what he has done. He has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. This word reconciled is huge. It means God has brought, made peace possible between two people. Between us and him, peace is now possible in a relationship. We were at war against God. We were rebels against God. But now we have peace a peaceful relationship with God. We have been reconciled. He goes on and he says this, We've been he has reconciled us to himself. He didn't need any changing. It was us who needed the change. And so he has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and he has given us, here it is, the ministry of reconciliation. Our ministry is one of reconciliation. It is going out to a world that is condemned under sin, and to give them the message of peace, a message of reconciling. You can be reconciled to your creator through the Savior, Jesus Christ. That is our ministry. Now, if we are not doing that, are people getting reconciled? No. They may, if somebody else witnesses to them, maybe even a cult will give them a wrong message. They, another they might get a tract from somewhere else, but who knows what, where they might hear it. They should hear it from us, right? 
because God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Now he's going to describe what that ministry is, verse 19. That is, here's what the ministry of reconciliation is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, not placing their sins upon them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So the reconciling of sinful people to a holy God, it's a ministry, but it's through a word. We have to speak it. We have to say it. It's not enough just to live a good life. There's a lot of unsaved people that I know that live good lives. Really. They, 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 live, they lead stellar lives. They give to charities. They don't swear. They don't smoke. They don't do, I mean, they, don't, they, don't, they have a whole lifestyle that you would say is pretty good but they are not reconciled to their God. We have, God has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Can I ask you something? If God has entrusted us with the word of reconciliation, will he ever hold us in account for it? Is he ever going to say, I gave it to you, now what did you do with it? He will do that, won't he? Now, I don't want you to witness or to make disciples because that is our goal. I don't want you to do it out of fear or manipulation because that's law, that's law keeping. And law keeping says, you must do this or you will be condemned or feel guilty. You know, that's, that's not the way that God does it. We give the gospel out of devotion, a whole different attitude. We give the gospel because God's grace has so changed our life. So don't feel like, oh, I don't witness to enough. I need to witness to four people each day. Or no, now I need to witness to five people. Don't think that. That's law-keeping, and it brings burden and guilt. Grace says God has liberated you from sin, and now you, because you love him so much for all that he has done, you simply want to share the message with other people. Uh, we have no problem talking about our favorite things with other people, right? If I knew anything about sports, I could talk about sports, but I cannot talk about sports to anybody I don't know who's playing, and I don't know when they're playing, and I don't know what their scores were. So really, I, 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 I'm no good at that conversation. But start talking spiritual things, and man, I just can't wait to tell you something about Jesus. And th but this is how we want our whole life to be. A word of reconciliation that God has committed to us, he has entrusted us to. Um, this word committed, it means, in verse 19, to set, means to place, it means to establish. He has established in us a word of reconciliation. So verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. We represent him on earth. He's not on earth bodily. We are. So we are his ambassadors as though, listen to this, as though God were pleading through us. When you're giving the gospel, do you know what's really happening? It is as if, God himself is in you pleading with that person. Remember how he was pleading with, with Adam? Adam, where are you? I'm pleading for you. Get over here. We need to talk. I want to deal with this. When we're giving the gospel, it's as if Jesus Christ is in our own body saying, please understand the gospel. Please hear the message about sin and, and belief in Jesus Christ. Now that's pretty powerful to know that when you share the word of reconciliation, it's as if Jesus himself is in your body doing it, and he's just simply using your body. It's as if God was, listen to that again, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We beg you, and now here's our, here's our word of reconciliation. 
we beg you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. See, the Corinthians needed to know that their ministry was outside the church. They were so focused on internal things, fighting amongst themselves. I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, I follow Jesus. They were so inward focused. Paul says, no, God has committed to you this word of reconciliation. It's as if Jesus Christ is in you, pleading with the people in your community. Therefore, um, as he says here, um, when you give the word of reconciliation, you are begging people, be reconciled to God. Tomorrow, maybe you have an opportunity to, to talk to somebody um, about reconciliation. Be reconciled to God. It was interesting. I was, I was, uh, it's easier for me as a pastor because people say, oh, what do you do? And right away I can go into it. I don't need any second chances there. But I was getting my hair cut the other day, and uh, the girl's like, oh, what do you do? You know, and I'm like, oh, well, I'm, I'm a pastor. I preach the gospel. And she's like, oh, that's weird. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I mean, I'm, I, you know, it's probably not in your top, your top 20 list of professions, but it's something I love to do. And she's like, oh, well, so what do you do? And I mean, she's just opening the door wide for me to give the word of reconciliation. Plus, I've been studying this and working on it for a long time. So I'm thinking, am I taking all these opportunities? And next thing you know, I'm able to explain to her, here's why I do this. Because People are going to hell every day because they have sinned against a holy God. She's like, oh, 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 yeah, that, uh, that doesn't sound good at all. You know, whatever that, she just knew that much. It wasn't a good thing. And then I was thinking, yes. Then I was thinking, yes, there is a solution, and it comes through Jesus Christ. It's a personal relationship with him because he, and then I explained the substitute, the substitutionary part. But it was exciting for me. It was just I was like, yes, it was as if Jesus was using me and pleading to this individual, be reconciled, find peace with God through Jesus Christ. And then here's the message, verse 21. For he, God, made him Jesus who knew no sin. Jesus knew no sin. That's part of our message. To be sin for us. There's the substitute. He died in our place. He died for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. Our sin went upon him. His righteousness comes upon us. Who would say no to such a gift? If, if they clearly understood it's not a religion, it's a relationship, and it's something that God has done for us freely, lovingly. Wow. I was witnessing to somebody else, and it was uh, a teacher, and she said, I would never go to your, even after I give the word of reconciliation, I would never go to your church. I'm like, really? Why is that? Because you people give too much money. I'm like, what? She goes, oh, I'm sure you expect a lot of money in the offering plate. She goes, at our, at our church, I can just put in t five, ten dollars. That's it. You know. But I mean, it was, her whole thought was, no worry about sin and righteousness. It was, it's going to cost me something to go to church, that, that thing. And so what are we called to do? Give the word of reconciliation. We are just called to deliver the message. God will do the rest. He's the one who changes and saves people. Now, take your Bibles. Go with me to Romans 10 for one more text. Romans chapter 10. So we are entrusted. I guess my point there is we are entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation, and God will hold us into account for it. He wants us to be bringers of the word of reconciliation. Romans chapter 10. Verse 13, here's 
a simple proclamation of the gospel. Romans 10, 13, we don't have time to get into the context and everything, but we see a quote here from the Old Testament, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 14, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? They can't do it, can they? Nobody out there is going to ever call on Jesus if they don't first believe in him. They must first believe in Jesus. And by doing that, they, they can call on him. And then look at the next phrase. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? We are asking our community to, community to do a, a, an impossible thing. We're asking them to believe in Jesus when they've never heard it. We're asking them to have faith in Jesus and be able to go to heaven someday, but they have never heard it so they can believe it in the first place. But why haven't they heard? Here is the next phrase. And how shall they hear without a preacher? You've got to have somebody to proclaim the word in order for them to hear it, in order for them to believe, and in order for them to be saved. And then finally, verse 15, and how shall they preach unless they are sent? So we need sent ones. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those, literally the word beautiful, mature, it's the word used for a, a, a flower in full bloom, how fully mature are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings, that's what it is, it's good news of good things. It's fantastic news of good things, right? So how can we expect anybody in our community to desire Christ or to know about him if we have not at least gone to tell them about him? That's the mission. That is the goal. The fellowships, the Bible teaching, the praise services, they all build us up and equip us so we can leave this building and go, be sent ones, giving the word of reconciliation, right? The whole reason we're here, this is like a huddle, and, and we're like being coached, what do we do? We praise the Lord, we have fellowship, we strengthen one another's faith, but we go out and reach the last. Now finally, Matthew chapter 28, and here's where we'll stay the rest of the evening. Matthew chapter 28 Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 16. This is after the resurrection of the Lord. Some interesting things we can pull out of this text. Matthew chapter 28. Look with me at verse 16. Then the 11 disciples, Judas has killed himself. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee Remember that the 11 were in Jerusalem when Jesus rose from the dead. Now they go to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So these are the final commissioning words of Jesus before he ascends into heaven. Let me set the scene for you, all right? They're up in Galilee, 70 miles north of where the resurrection took place. Jesus rises from the dead on a Sunday, right? In Jerusalem, and he appears that night. He's with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He's back in Jerusalem that night with the 11 disciples, and they're all in the locked room, and he shows up. 
Thomas is missing, though, right? Then a week later, the disciples are together on the first day of the week, and Jesus shows up in the middle of their evening. So that's now one week after he's risen from the dead. He's on earth how many days before he ascends? 40 days. So there's 40 days of ministry of Jesus, and already now a week has taken place. We know that before the, before the death and resurrection in Matthew 26, verse 32, we read it this morning in Sunday school, that Jesus told the disciples, after I am raised from the dead, we will meet in Galilee. See, Jesus knew he wanted to meet up in the Galilee, not in Jerusalem, but up in the Galilee. He said that before his death. And then the angels at the tomb in Matthew 28, they tell the women Go and tell the disciples Jesus is raised from the dead, and he will meet them and you up in the Galilee. All right, so there's this big meeting and this big appointment up in the Galilee. And um, verse 16, we see that it's coming true. Now, when did it take place? We know that after, that, after the second meeting of the disciples in the upper room, a, a week after Jesus rose from the dead, the disciples make their way to the Galilee. But what do they do? They're waiting for Jesus. They're waiting for Jesus. And in John 21, Peter says, let's go fishing. Right? They're fishermen. They're back up in the Galilee. They're waiting for Jesus, and he hasn't shown up. So Peter's thinking, hmm, let's go fishing. So they all go fishing. And in John 21, Jesus meets the disciples up in the Galilee at the shores of the Sea of Galilee. That's not this meeting. Now, if it took them a while to get up to the Galilee, I'm sure. It took them a little while maybe to get started fishing again. So you're talking maybe 20 to 30 days later, they're having this meeting because Jesus ascends to heaven in Jerusalem. So he's in Jerusalem with all of his appearances. He goes up to the Galilee, talks to the disciples when they're fishing, and then he has this meeting. Then he goes back to Jerusalem, and from there, Jesus ascends to heaven. So he goes there, back up to the Galilee and down. Do you see, does that make sense? My question is, who is, who is all involved in the commission? It says here that the 11 disciples went away into Galilee. We know the women were told to go up there. If you look at chapter 28, verse 5, but the, the angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. So we know the 11 disciples have been called to this mountain in Galilee. We know the women have been told to go up there. It's possible the 500 witnesses in 1 Corinthians that Paul speaks about, 500 people saw Jesus at once, could have been the believers up in the Galilee. Because it says some doubted. They worshipped him and some doubted. The 11 already saw Jesus. They knew he rose from the dead. But the other ones hadn't seen him yet. Maybe there was some doubt. Is this really the, the risen Lord? So can you picture up on this mountain, there's the 11 disciples. You have the women from the Galilee that followed Jesus for all those years. If you look at the book of Acts, we won't go there, but in Acts chapter 1, after Judas dies and they're selecting his replacement, Peter says, of all these men, of all this multitude that have followed Jesus from the day he was baptized to the day he ascended to heaven, we'll choose one of those. All right, they gave two options. But there were many people that followed Jesus that whole time. So you can picture, even though the 11 are specified here, 
that there's a multitude of disciples in Galilee that are, he- that are hearing this message of the Lord. Here's my first point. If you want to be one that will take our mission seriously, to reach the last and to make disciples like Jesus has commanded us, you have to be available. All right, my first one, my first point, you have to be available. These 11, they could have done anything with their life. Jesus rose from the dead. They could have stayed at fishing. They could have moved away. They, they could have done whatever they wanted to, but they knew Jesus' resurrection was real and they were available. I would take anybody who's available way over anybody who's talented. All right, listen, my gifts are not that great. I'm not a very good construction person. I mean, I can get through stuff. And really, I'm not that great of a musician. I mean, there's many people that are far better than me. So I don't have a lot of great talent. Mostly everything that I do is just mediocre. The one thing that I do want from day one for the Lord, I want to be available. If he needs me, I want to be used. You know that my gift is not speaking and preaching. I could hardly answer the phone when I work for Johnny's Music. I'm so shy and so afraid of people. Speech class was my nightmare in high school. To give a speech was a nightmare. But I did tell the Lord when I was saved 21 years ago, I am available. Whatever you want me to do, I will do. Wherever you want me to go, I will go. And I still feel that way. I want, no matter what, I want to be available. You want to know the greatest thing that hinders our witnessing? We're just not available for the Lord. We're so busy with our own lives and our agendas and our own things. We just don't have time. We're so centered on this, this, and this. My schedule, I look at my, I look at my schedule and I'm like, wow, I, you know, where do I have time for all of the witnessing and things like that? I need to make time witnessing. I need that um, because that's a huge part of my life. So first thing, these 11, the women, and maybe the 500 witnesses, they're available. Jesus says, show up, and they show up. They're there. They're taking this so seriously because it's the risen Lord. If, if I were to say, the risen Lord will be here next Sunday night, would you show up? I mean, yes, you would because he's the Lord and, and, and he's risen. But he's here anyways, isn't he? He's here when we gather together and worship. But the first thing is about just being available. Look, and look at the second thing tonight says the 11 disciples, and I do think there were others involved in that whole group, uh, went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. I think some in that crowd, maybe as Jesus was approaching, you can see in verse 18 it says, and Jesus came. It's the, the Greek word to come near to something. So as Jesus was coming near, people were doubting, saying, is that the risen Lord? Is it not the risen Lord? Um, And so I think some doubted, very, very honest in the text here. But then I do think they all recognized this is Jesus in the flesh. He truly is risen. And so my second point, you want to be able to fulfill our mission to go and reach the last? Be available. Just be available. Secondly, be worshipful. What does it mean to worship Jesus? It means recognizing he is everything and we are nothing. Worship means he is everything. I have no rights. I have no agenda. I have no plans of my own. It's his. If he calls me to this ministry task, I'll do it. Even if it's tough. Even if I don't think I can do it, 
I'll do it because he, he then will equip me and empower me to do it. So the whole idea of worship, if, if we are so focused on Jesus and our allegiance is only to him and our love is only for him and our whole life is centered on what pleases Jesus, then it becomes quite natural to spill out into the community and talk about Jesus. It just comes out of you like a, almost on accident. Oh, do you know what I was reading in the Bible? Oh, have you ever read the Bible? I'll tell you what. It's amazing what the Bible teaches. You know, I have ninth grade students, and they're just curious about everything. And I've got them curious about the Bible. They're like, well, why would you read the Bible? And doesn't that, does it make sense? I've tried, and, and so I'm trying to teach them and explain to them what the Bible is all about. And there's just so many ways that just if we're available and we're worshiping, that since he's our focus, the word of reconciliation will come out. So I guess that's my challenge. My challenge is don't go and witness out of pressure or guilt, but go because your heart is so full that Jesus has paid your penalty. He has paid the price, and you just can't wait to tell somebody else about it. Listen, if we had a cure for cancer, wouldn't we be the, wouldn't we just go out and want everybody to know that we have that? It'd be like, wow, you guys, you have to understand, we can, we can cure cancer. We've got this, we've got the solution. We would have every network talking about it because we would be out there talking about it nonstop. We have something greater than a cure for cancer. We have a cure for man's soul. We have a cure for the rebellion and the sin issue that has separated us from our God. And it's Jesus Christ alone. So think this week about those two things, being available and just worshiping him. If you're focused and worshiping him, if you are conscious that he is everything and, and that we submit to him, boy, God just opens the doors one after another. Let's pray. Father, thank you for reminding us of our mission. There are so many strong things that our church has, um, just such wonderful families that you've assembled here and set in place, spiritual gifts operating and praise and fellowship and teaching times. We are so blessed beyond measure. We have wonderful missionaries that are also um, doing these things. But Father, we're reminded tonight that our sin, our sin has caused a separation between you and I between us, mankind, and you. And you have given us the Savior as the substitute. But you had also, you've also entrusted to us this ministry of reconciliation. We are to, to use this word of reconciliation and plead with people to trust the Lord. We know that they will never trust because they have not heard. We need to at least let them hear it. So I pray, Father, that this week we would be available and we would be worshipers of Jesus Christ. Our, our hearts would be so consumed with the Lord, such love and devotion in our hearts, thinking about the cross and the resurrection, that we cannot help but speak that to others. So, Father, we want to be available this week for opportunities with people that we run into, um, whether it's in the community, maybe family members. Um, equip us, Father, and give us boldness to speak this word of reconciliation that Jesus died for our sin and those who trust him receive his righteousness. What a great, what a great message of good things.
please, Father, build this church and strengthen this church according to your will and by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.